We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We talked, Sean, on Sunday about NFL Week 15 being one of the all-time weeks, and we're going to continue that today as we go through the rest of the games that we have to talk about. We're also going to talk about one of our listeners. We mentioned last week the success of some of the Rotoviz community over the, the last week or so, and we have some more people who may be in line for some success. We don't want to put too much pressure on them. We're going to be talking about one of our our friends, I guess we'll say, one of our long-term OGs here on Rotoviz Overtime, talking about their team in the FBG tournament over on the FFPC later in the show as they chase down a half a million dollar top prize over there. But Sean, we are going to continue the trend. There's sometimes games that I'm itching to fit in to the recap show, but we do try and keep that show to 50 minutes to an hour, and we know that we're going to do this second show where we want to go through those. But I I have been wanting to, to talk some Trevor Lawrence, so we're going to start off today's show with the Jacksonville Jaguars. When we started last season, in draft season, we were talking about, and I remember the word coming up quite regularly, generational talent. It does get thrown around there, but you know, talking about the likes of Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, putting Trevor Lawrence into that category when we were doing our you know draft preview shows with Travis May and different guys who came on. Trevor Lawrence's rookie season didn't go according to plan, obviously, with the situation in Jacksonville. Urban Meyer's stretch in the NFL is now looking among some of the worst we have seen from head coach tenures. But Trevor Lawrence, Sean, this season, there's been downs, but there's been massive, massive highs. And this was another game where they need to put in a lot of uh, big plays towards the end of the game, as well as throughout the game, to to get that win at the end. They beat the Dallas Cowboys, who are 10-6 and six on the season. The Jaguars are now 6-8. and eight, And the Jaguars are really breathing right down the Titans' necks. And we're going to talk about their game in just a short few moments. But... The, the Jags here have, have really started to, to turn things into positive uh, kind of momentum. In this game, we see Lawrence throw 42 times, completes 27 passes, 318 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. ETN has a strong day on the ground, 103 yards rushing on 19 attempts. The team as a whole, though, has 192 yards rushing on 27 attempts. So getting it done in all phases here, we get Zay Jones with another big day for him. He has... The story continues, Sean. There's some real fun kind of comeback stories. Geno Smith's one of them. Zay Jones, another one who continues to progress here. But six for 109 and three for him. Christian Kirk almost gets to the, the 100 yards, six receptions. Evan Ingram after his massive week the week before, eight for 62 on 10 targets. C.D. Lamb is 126 yards and seven receptions. Noah Brown gets two touchdowns in this one. 
you know, just a real fun game all around with 74 total points between both teams. This one went to overtime. This one ended pretty swiftly in overtime with a pick six return for the touchdown. Sean, what were your key takeaways here from the, the Jacksonville Jaguars? And how good can Trevor Lawrence be if this is kind of his second year breakout? And I don't know if we've seen many quarterbacks go from such a, a difficult first season to, to such a turnaround in year two. Well, one of the things we know we're looking for in that second season is the breakout. Blair Andrews has published a lot of great work on that we get a sense with some of these players like the rookie seasons that we got from justin herbert and joe burrow that people are going to come out and light the world on fire immediately and that obviously does happen but especially when you go to a team as bad as the jaguars and then you get put into the situation where the coaching staff also has a lot of issues then it's going to take a little bit more time i was a little bit skeptical of the idea that Trevor Lawrence should be placed in that same category with Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. He obviously was unbelievable at Clemson. When you look at the overall record, they're winning a national title as a true freshman. That's about as the best you can possibly do when it comes to age and experience adjusted accomplishments there early on at the elite college level. He was surrounded by a lot of talent in the last year where they didn't have quite as much at the receiver position. He had especially in some of these big games. He had a lot of the throws that were perhaps a little bit more similar to what we've witnessed in the first half of this year. And so you take some of that, you think about how it's going to translate to the NFL, and maybe it wasn't a surprise that we have some of these things crop up into his game. But the thing that you and I were talking about early in the season, even when he was struggling, is that Trevor Lawrence makes decisions quickly, unleashes the ball quickly has an extremely strong arm and can push the ball down the field those things are all very very helpful the questions that he were he was having really centered around decision making and accuracy and then does he have enough talent around him and one of the cool things that we witness now with the zay jones explosion with what Everett ingram did in week 14 i mean they've put some interesting pieces there obviously their free agent signings were mocked because they spent so much on christian kirk and zay jones and the Kirk contract to me still seems a little bit iffy, but I mean, he's been solid. And now they have Calvin Ridley there as well for next year. You think about 2023 and where Trevor. Yeah, that's something that's slight. That really, even just as you mentioned that, I was like, what do they do? <laughs> Slides by the radar there. When you think about where he slots in now in Dynasty, I mean, it's very, very high. Patrick Crane and I needed a big game or a solid game or not a flat out terrible game from Justin Herbert to advance in our really high dollar RV triflex league. That was one we were pretty invested in there. He has a terrible game. We get down to the end of Sunday night football and Jahan Dotson beats us. I mean, Trevor Lawrence has to be above Justin Herbert. Now when you're looking at super flex dynasty rankings and the long term i mean those guys could flip flop back and forth quite a few times over the next decade i would expect that they're going to have hot stretches they're going to have cold stretches they're going to be time periods where we look at each of their groups of receivers and say well this guy right now has weapons that make him a superior play the offense is more aggressive all of those types of things maybe there's the opportunity for trevor lawrence in stretches to add additional yards with his legs which would be something that herbert is not giving fantasy managers right now but while the Kirk signing was a little bit questionable the other one that did raise eyebrows is Zay Jones and it's not that his contract was so egregious but simply do you want to put any money into that it's almost like the contracts that we see 
with the Major League Baseball players where the fans immediately have the outcry when someone who is just barely above replacement level is signed to a meaningful deal and then everybody comes in and explains, well, I mean, in baseball money, that's not a lot and what you're paying, you know, in terms of war isn't that much. It all kind of makes sense. And yet the casual fan in many ways, I think, is still right in saying, yeah, but you just need to use other assets to get that tiny little bit of win above replacement there. Sign undrafted free agents, develop them. The best teams are the teams who are taking advantage of inexpensive or free ways to build out their roster. And then they're taking those millions, which supposedly don't mean anything, and stacking those together to add real pieces. I think Jaguars fans would have been much happier if they had gotten one star as opposed to these two guys. And yet it's worked out magnificently, especially over the second half of the season. And one of the things that kind of brought me back to, we've written about Zay Jones on the site now for (laughs) three weeks in a row. (laughs) But you go back to it and you look and, I mean, this was a guy who catches 158 passes his final year in college. But not just that, he blew up the combine. And I think that that gets lost sometimes when people think, oh, the Bills went out and they overdrafted this guy from East Carolina and he was a bust and all of those types of things. It's like, yeah, that is true now in retrospect. And yet when you look at what he did in college and even with the lack of vertical ability, I mean, if you're going to catch 158 passes, then a lot of those are obviously underneath. But this is somebody who went out and then had a 75th percentile freak score, a 92nd percentile explosion score, and a 91st percentile agility score. And that's just checking all of the boxes right there. At one point in time, Jones was a rare athlete. I mean, whether he's still there, one of the things that happens at the NFL level is that the wear and tear can grind these guys down pretty quickly. But the element that we have gotten from Jones over the last several weeks is this explosiveness. This game really turned when the Cowboys go up 27 to 10 with about five minutes left in the third quarter and the Jaguars rally back with a quick score. If they have a long touchdown drive there, then perhaps even if they get in, you're still facing such a high wall to climb in terms of getting back in that game. But what they do, they throw a 59-yard touchdown to Jones. It's the third play of that drive after a couple of really nice runs from Travis Etienne. You mentioned him. He's been a little bit frustrating from a fantasy perspective over the last month. Hasn't gotten in the end zone a lot, not targeted a lot. He does have three targets in this game. It was cool to see a couple of design plays there. You really hope that that builds out. And one of the mild concerns for ETN, well, people were focused on the foot coming in. The thing that was really a little bit nerve-wracking for me is that Doug Peterson's offenses in Philadelphia, despite that Andy Reid connection and the mentorship there and developing himself as a coach under Reid, and you think about Reid and what he did with Brian Westbrook and what he did with Sean McCoy, the Peterson offenses have been a little bit more like what we've gotten from Reed under Patrick Mahomes, where the running back in the receiving game is not really the focal point, especially after ETN was drafted specifically to be that, to have him not really used in that vein it is at least a mild red flag for him going forward. And yet the talent again jumped out in this game. And one of the things here is that Dallas Cowboys have been an elite defense and for the Jaguars to claw their way back from multiple pieces of this offense Lawrence, Etienne, obviously Zay Jones, to look so good. I mean, you have to consider, too, who they're playing. This, obviously, a a franchise-defining and potentially player-defining game for multiple guys. 
Yeah, they've had a few games this season where they've beat teams where you would say they are, you know, franchises who, even though the Cowboys have had their issues over the years and, you know, haven't won any Super Bowls in recent history, they are one of those kind of cornerstone franchises of the NFL. And they are a team who has high hopes for themselves heading into the playoffs this or this coming season or this current season. So big kind of statement wins for a team like the Jaguars to pick up and uh, very impressive. I have to say, you mentioned that throw as well for that touchdown to Zay Jones. Some of the, the arm talent that uh, we have seen Trevor Lawrence display in some of these recent matches throughout the 2022 season has has just been very, very impressive. So I'm excited to see the the Jaguars have have some you know momentum heading up rather than staying at the, the plateau where they were at the, the bottom of the NFL kind of power rankings over the last couple of seasons. Before we do get into the next game, Sean, we're going to do a quick wrap-up of some injury news and updates that may have uh, come out over the last couple of days since people heard the recap show. But Kenny Pickett obviously missed this past week for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He is going to start in week 16 against the Las Vegas Raiders. Khalil Herbert, who some people may have stashed on those best ball rosters and need some depth at running back, he will be back off IR and likely involved in week 16. We also get the bad news, unfortunate news, that Jonathan Taylor's ankle injury lands him on IR, which ends his season for 2022, which has been tough for some of those 101 drafters who would have taken Jonathan Taylor. Dallas Goddard activated off injured reserve will be available against the Cowboys this coming weekend. On the unfortunate side, it looks like Jalen Hurts won't be available for that, but we'll keep a track on that injury news over the rest of the week but lots of stuff happening in that kind of 24-hour period since we last talked Sean we're going to move on now to something that you mentioned a second ago and that is Justin Herbert versus Trevor Lawrence for those super flex rankings so the the Chargers do win this game 17-14 eight and six on the season and with a little bit of hope for the playoffs then we get the Titans who are seven and seven so it's going to be interesting to see how themselves and the Jaguars finish out over these next couple off weeks ryan Tannehill did get rolled up on in this game looked like he was going to be out for the rest of the game does battle back and does come in his mobility is obviously affected after that but tries to to gut it out but can't get the the team to get the win at the end of this one we get 313 passing yards from justin herbert you may there you know there's no touchdowns there's two interceptions there's it's just not clicking in the way it was um you know when he had his hot stretch at that point in his career but we have Keenan Allen with 86 yards eight receptions Mike Evans eight targets just the four receptions 67 yards there is one of those touchdowns that I or interception sorry that I mentioned as a target to Mike Evans which is a spectacular play by the two defensive backs one palms it in one catches it in the end zone a massive play for the Titans at that point of the game for the Titans though Sean it really is Derrick Henry and there's there's really nothing happening in the passing game outside of him and, and maybe Oconquo sneaks in there as well but when you're missing out in trail on works it is taking a lot of the dynamism out of this offense and outside of him there isn't a huge amount to get excited about so Henry has 104 rushing yards one touchdown also has 59 receiving yards four receptions on four targets I've enjoyed seeing Henry get more involved in the passing game this year and those screen passes to Henry should be just mandatory for this offense in terms of how hard it is to stop him once he gets out in space Sean this game didn't live up to the hype. I was hoping for a, a kind of a Dallas Cowboys versus Jacksonville Jaguars scoreline in this one in the dome, and it just never really got going. It's seven seven at halftime, no no points in the third quarter, and it's you no know, seven points to ten in the, the fourth quarter in terms of how it finishes it up fourteen seventeen. What were some of your notes on this one? Yeah, even though the Titans lost, I mean the one player in this game who really came to play. 
other than I guess the defenses, <laughs> would be Derrick Henry. He has that 37-yard reception on their third drive. That sets up his own four-yard score. He leads the Titans in receiving in this game, which is not something that you hear very often or would expect to hear coming into the season. He had four catches, 59 yards. That gave him six games with 30 or more receiving yards this year. That's one more than he had over the previous three seasons combined. I noted in the Monday article that, I mean, Henry, someone who we don't, we just don't draft, right? And I haven't drafted him in the past to my obvious detriment. And yet we have him on our Superflex team that advanced. And part of the reason for that is that it's really important to us. And one of the things that I think gets caught up in this zero RB discussion sort of big picture is this idea that it's a very dogmatic approach that doesn't allow for flexibility, doesn't understand individual player values, that's wanting to do the same thing every time and never deviate, that it really limits you in terms of your options. And if drafters want to approach it in a certain way, those things can be true. But one of the things that you and I have talked about for a long time is that that was never the intent of the original article. People who go back and read that will see that I talk about taking you know, one running back in that four, five, six area or not at all. It's like either way, it doesn't have to be you take none ever. That was never the intent of the original article. You and I have talked about it. Ben Gretsch and I have discussed it. A ton of stealing bananas. That was one of the focal points of our original evergreen shows in the summer of 2021. We talked about it a lot this season. And then that kind of feeds into this idea of Henry as a very draftable player. He was the focus of multiple articles this summer, talking about how the range of outcome tool really liked him, really liked Tyreek Hill. Obviously with Hill, there's that caveat of the tool doesn't know that he has switched teams. But those guys as home run selections in their areas of the draft, and not just home runs, but I mean gapping the players who are being drafted around them by huge numbers, right? Huge numbers. And that's what we have seen happen this year is those guys have gapped the players who were weaker picks and so when you look at henry and you look at his talent and that's the thing that we're trying to do with zero rb is to take a structural approach that if you allow yourself the flexibility to deviate when you need to amplifies your player selection acumen as opposed to constrains it and so I mean, Henry is not somebody that we loaded up on, but he's somebody that we created exposure to when he fell into that particular range. And so in our case, you know, we started Jalen Hurts, Justin Jefferson, and then Derrick Henry coming back toward the end of round three. And again, this is a super flex draft. And so the quarterbacks are pushing those guys down. Superflex especially was a format in which Henry was somebody you could get at just a, a kind of a crazy price. They were begging you to take him and... Unlike in some of the past years, perhaps we did do that. It has worked out. And the cool thing here is that despite now being another year older, and even though he's much younger than Travis Kelsey, we know that the way that running backs age. And so as an aging back, he's added this other element to his game. And I thought when you were talking about the screen passes, you were going to say that those passes should be illegal. Once he gets the ball in open space there and starts going downhill you just feel i think they should be illegal for the opposition yeah the opposition's going to want them to be but they should be mandatory for the titans there should be at least two to three of those every game without question i mean they they look so good on that he tries to carry them there's only so much that one guy can do and it's not quite enough but it's also this strange dynamic where 
What were the Chargers doing in this game? It, the passing matchup Raider had Keenan Allen as the number two overall receiver, at Gerald Everett as the number one overall tight end. That was one of our focal points on the end of the week show for Ceiling Bananas, where we preview some of these games coming up. The strength of schedule streamer had Everett as this great match. I mean, he had a fine game by tight end scoring context. I mean, uh, unless you hit on a touchdown, which, I mean, there were a lot of guys who came out of the woodwork and did hit on touchdowns at the tight end position in this last week. But that's about what you're going to get. I don't understand what Herbert is doing and what Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are giving him. You mentioned that extraordinary interception. There were so many crazy plays this week, and beyond just the individual plays, the storylines and the narratives that accompanied all of these frantic comebacks can kind of swamp some of the other things that happened. That pick by the Titans, probably the best like teammate play of the entire season. But this is the Titans defensive backfield was getting absolutely shredded, right? They're sixth worth in the NFL in yards per cover snap coming into the game. And I mean, the Chargers just look bad the whole way through. Herbert needs 42 passes to crest 300 yards. He doesn't throw a touchdown. He gets picked off twice. He throws nine passes to Keenan Allen and can't get him to 90 yards. He throws eight passes to Mike Williams only four of which are caught for 67. A balanced passing attack, but again, the dynamism that we witnessed for Justin Herbert from the first day that he stepped on an NFL field and encompassing those first two seasons, that was entirely absent in this game. And frustratingly, for fantasy managers, and I'm sure for Los Angeles Chargers fans, really that's been the case all year. Probably Allen and Williams are not 100%, especially Williams, but one of the excuses that you can make for Herbert for most of this season is, yeah, I mean, you're not going to be nearly as good when you're throwing to Josh Palmer, DeAndre Carter, and Gerald Everett as your main weapons. Their guys have come back. This was an exploitable opportunity, and they were lucky to win this game 17-14. to 14. If they had lost, this was, would have been a massive blow to a Chargers team that doesn't have some of the excuses that the Titans have. Yeah, it was a massive disappointment when we looked through what – we have thought that the Chargers would do when they're at full strength. This was then pretty much at full strength heading into this one. We've seen over the last couple of weeks, the Jaguars have shredded this offense. Uh, AJ Brown and the, the Philadelphia Eagles shredded it two weeks ago. So really disappointing. And I think underwhelming is my thoughts on the Chargers offensively this season. We, we really thought we would get so much more from them. We, we did think that they were being overpriced a little bit. We were drafting quite a bit of Mike Evans, even at his price. But yeah, really feels like they have underachieved. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Sean, we are going to jump into the win bet segment of today. And this is, for me, this is the So You're Saying There's a Chance win bet segment of the day, Sean. Sign up today to receive a special sports offer. Bet $100, win $100. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. don't know if the listeners guessed this, Sean, but it's about the Green Bay Packers. The Packers get a win on Monday Night Football. They are 6-8 on the season. I was all the way out. And then the, the rookies, and especially Christian Watson, brought me kind of all the way back in where the excitement level for watching these as the, the young players continue to develop is a lot of fun. We had Romeo Dobbs back in action this week. He gets five targets, five receptions, 55 yards, all the fives for Romeo Dobbs. Christian Watson probably should have had a touchdown at the end of this one, runs the wrong route, uh, doesn't get a touchdown. Aaron Rodgers wasn't happy about that. We'll get Sean's immediate thoughts on how bad of a teammate Aaron Rodgers is after after we get to this. But this wasn't the most exciting game in the world, Sean. The Packers special teams kind of and defense was, was where this one was won. I uh, thought that Aaron Jones looked pretty good in the run game, but nothing nothing huge gets the touchdown though to top it off in the receiving game what were your thoughts on monday night football and is there a slim chance here i think the packers playoff hopes have gone from six percent to eight percent at this point so there's still a chance isn't there there is a chance and i like to hear that they've pulled you back in that's always what we're looking for from people's favorite teams i mean this was the game that we expected it was dull it was aaron Rodgers throwing more or less underneath. He does hit Dobbs for a 27-yard gain. It was cool that Dobbs and Watson led with a combined 11 targets. They catch nine of those. You mentioned the missed opportunity for the touchdown at the end for Dobbs. That obviously unfortunate. And yet, he looked very good in this game. We only get two targets for Alan Lazard. They managed to somewhat resist the temptation to pepper Randall Cobb with targets. Sammy Watkins. Also Sammy Watkins. Yeah, I was just waiting. I thought that was cool. Who was bizarrely signed in the offseason, was released ahead of this game. You do have a weird play where Aaron Jones has had his forward progress stop for like half an hour and ends up fumbling. The forward progress calls this week were <laughs> very difficult. I Ben and I will probably talk about this a little bit on Ceiling Bananas because it's so emotional that it's hard to not, but... We had the Minnesota Vikings defense going. We scored 179 points. We'd be up over 190 if they had allowed both of those defensive touchdowns. Obviously, again, everything changes after the first one. That play is allowed, but especially to see this play, not call those forward progress stopped, and you contrast that with the one. My take on the first defensive touchdown for the Vikings in that game is that forward progress had stopped, and the officials needed to get in there. They... (laughs) The inconsistency in terms of protecting players in these games has been so bizarre. I mentioned on the previous show that we had Sammy Watkins ruled as for a progress stopped in the Chiefs game, and then that was overturned, which was the right call, but still a bizarre use of replay, at least in terms of how it's always been explained in the past. 
But this game also illustrated what managers were anticipating or at least hoping for from these two running backs when they picked them in the second and fourth rounds this year. Very, very high prices. Aaron Jones looks fantastic, looks explosive. The injury issues that he had been dealing with didn't limit him at least from an explosion perspective in this one. Gains 90 yards on 17 carries, adds the four receptions, 36 yards, the touchdown. So he scores almost 14 points just as a receiver. Again, that's what fantasy managers were looking for. A.J. Dillon, the perfect complement, not as dynamic as a runner, but in part because he's asked to make some short yardage carries. He punches in two touchdowns. He also adds three receptions. You score two touchdowns, and you also score more than a touchdown's worth of points in the receiving game as the big back. You've really done your job. Kyle, there's nothing really to talk about on the Rams side. Tyler Higby does get his touchdown, but Baker Mayfield throws for just 111 yards. I don't think there was too much of a surprise that Lightning didn't strike twice and that Baker Mayfield is not the answer for the Los Angeles Rams. A good one for your Packers, like you mentioned, win probability, or I should say playoff odds jump to 8%. The big game they have coming up, really all big games remaining, you've got to win out if you are the Packers. One of the things that knocks their odds down a little bit is they have three tough games remaining. The flip side of that, you could argue, is it gives them a chance to claw back some ground against specific teams, but they're at Miami. If they could win that, it would jump to 20%. Then they have the Vikings. A slight chance the Vikings could be resting some guys, but now with Hurts out, it's not impossible that the Eagles could lose out because they also have a stretch of opponents that is at least difficult enough that without Jalen Hurts, you could lose. If they lose out, then they drop into much more of a dead heat with the 49ers and the Vikings for the first round bye. They're obviously going to want to win that. And so they'll be playing against your Packers in that game almost for sure. And the final week is against Detroit. If the Packers were to sweep, that still just gets them to 67%. They're going to win. need some other things to happen. But one of the things that they would need to happen is something they control in terms of their own destiny. They're that game against Detroit in week 18. I think as a Lions fan, you as a Packers fan, if we could get to the point where that was a win and end game in week 18, that would be fantastic. Yeah, that'd be fun. I do think it's going to be interesting. You mentioned I, I don't have a lot of confidence. Uh, it is a Christmas Day game against the Miami Dolphins. It's a standalone game on that day. It will actually be 6 p.m. my time here. It's a 1 p.m. Eastern kickoff. So Christmas evening should be should be a fun watch sitting down to watch that. I'm looking forward to watching it, but I don't have a lot of faith of them. But keeping up with the Dolphins, but the Dolphins have struggled in recent weeks. Packers have uh, have been really easy though to to pass against in, in recent times. So we'll see what what happens there. But Sean, there is a chance, and uh, you mentioned some of the other things they would need to happen. They kind of need a situation where um, the Washington Commanders now lose a couple of games coming up here, and we're going to talk with them now. They did lose to the New York Giants. It was a situation with whoever lost this game because they have the same record. The Packers fans were going to have to, to root for the losing team to continue to lose a, a couple of games here. So the Giants are 8-5-1. and one. We get the Commanders at 7-6-1 and one at this point in time. The Commanders holding tiebreakers over the Packers from that loss earlier in the season, but we'll see how it, how it all plays out. But 22-12 is the, the final score here. And again, a few exciting players in this and a few questionable officiating calls we might leave all the officiating calls to, to see the banana sean but the end of this game has 
come in for a lot of criticism on social media in particular a lot of uh you know typing i was about to say a lot of newspaper columns uh covering that but probably more typed up stuff this this uh in the 2022s but we get saquon barkley sean gets a rushing touchdown 18 carries 87 yards five receptions 33 yards on eight targets so solid day from him outside of that nothing really to uh get excited about from the giant side but they get the all-important w heineke is 249 yards passing one passing touchdown 33 yards rushing brian robinson has looked pretty good sean over the last couple of weeks it feels like when he came back from his injury that maybe he was working his way back into you know full full health and at this point he, he may be there 12 for 89 on the ground for him so not anything massive but did have a rushing touchdown chalked off at the end as i mentioned with one of those controversial officiating calls it's a rushing touchdown called back for the offensive formation with terry mclaurin being the person penalized in that situation dotson though sean has had some really standout performances this year and this was a game where unfortunately for him they didn't get the win but he goes six targets four receptions 105 yards and a touchdown and has looked really good in his rookie season all things considered missed some time with injury but has been impressive mclaurin then six receptions on six targets for 70 yards what were some of your key takeaways here and any other notes that i've, I've skipped over there and haven't covered the main thing is that you watch this game and the commanders completely shut down daniel jones and the passing game throwing 32 times like it's 160 yards now he avoids interceptions he avoids sacks i've been on the daniel jones bandwagon throughout the year i think when they get him some playmakers then he's got a shot i mean you think about this team kind of in that same context with a team like the chicago bears where they've given their quarterback almost no chance i like darius slayton but he does catch five of his seven targets but a couple of the missed connections he just has to make better plays on the ball but when you have richie james leading the way when you have isaiah hodgins as your number two receiver i mean they don't have anybody get to 50 yards here they're completely and totally dominated by this washington defense saquon barkley they've been kind of holding him a little bit for this game he looked much more dynamic in this one that part was fun to see if you have him in some fantasy formats and you should because he's one of the three or four most exciting offensive skill position players especially at the running back position I mean, there are a lot of receivers out there but still not that many running backs who can bring to the table what he does they used him in all facets in this game he gets the eight targets he has the five receptions the eight receiving points here what we've been desperate for all season this was the game you wanted to see from him and it was enough because Taylor Heineke just simply can't get the job done. Sacks, failure to you know, move the ball, failure to hit with his guys. Brian Robinson looks good in this game. Jahan Dotson looks fantastic, but you just you don't have the upside with this quarterback. The commanders by refusing to go young. And you can see where the downsides of that are. I don't think anybody was surprised that Desmond Ritter would struggle in his debut. If he had been ready to go out there and dominate, they wouldn't have been so intent on sticking with Marcus Mariota for so long. And yet there were still flashes there. And if it had not been an Arthur Smith offense, then you would have had more excitement for it. If you have decent coaching, one of the things that you're looking at with some of these teams that don't want to go to their young players 
and that contrast, say, with the 49ers and Brock Purdy, or even the New England Patriots and Bailey Zappi, and the Patriots, a team right now in real disarray on the offensive side of the ball in terms of where their quarterback is, where the receivers are, where that interaction with the play callers, all of those types of things, and yet you still contrast them with some of the teams like the Commanders, and you just you have to have better overall coaching. You have Heineke as the quarterback wins or quarterback ties guy. He's not able to get that here, even though Jahan Dotson does everything he possibly can. The 61-yard catch in this game did beat me in <laughs> several leagues. I didn't realize it at the time, and I was excited and rooting for it, which that's arguably a positive. You get to enjoy the thrill before the heartbreak later. He looked really good in this game. It's been a, a weird season for him because of the injuries and because of the excruciating quarterback play. But this is the guy they talked about during the offseason, during training camp, the guy who flashed in the preseason, the guy who was catching those touchdowns. Dawson hasn't had a good rookie season, right? He comes into this game averaging only 14% targets per route, only 6.9 yards per target. Obviously, those are the two components of the yards per route run, but looking at them two individually gives you a lot more nuance and, and real understanding for how that's being accomplished. Those numbers are a cause for concern, and yet because of the injury hiccups, the offensive context, the playmaking dynamism that brings that he brings to the table, and the fact that, again, not every rookie, just like we saw last year with Trevor Lawrence, like we saw with Christian Watson over the first stretch of games for him, you're going to have the breakouts happen at different times. You need to be a little bit patient with these players. But despite missing five games this year, this is the fifth time that Dotson has generated at least 75 air yards. It was the first, it was the second where his racer, so his ability to convert air yards, topped 1.0. It's going to be difficult for both Dotson and McLaurin to be the guys that we want them to be unless you just get better overall quarterback play. But there's a lot of room to be excited about both guys. We'll see. If, uh, Dami Brown was sort of weirdly involved in this game. They still have Curtis Samuel. Obviously, we know they want to run through the backs and Brian Robinson. But over the next 18 months or so, I think that this team is going to be really interesting to track. And I do think that if you can add Dotson, obviously not immediately after a game like this, but especially if his final games of the season are slower again, He's somebody I'd be trying to buy low on during the offseason. You did mention then one quarterback there in the list. We're going to finish off with this game, and this is the Atlanta Falcons. They lose 21-18 to the New Orleans Saints in what was a pretty ugly, run-heavy, run-force game, exactly kind of what we thought it was going to be coming in. But Andy Dalton has two passing touchdowns. They both go to John Johnson in this, who also has 67 yards. We, we also have a situation where Taysom Hill has two pass attempts, two completions, 80 yards, and one touchdown. That one to Rashid Saeed, three receptions for him, 95 yards and a touchdown. So again, probably not many people having him started in their lineups. We do see a glimpse again from Drake London, seven for 70 on 11 targets in terms of moving in the right direction. Nothing else happening in the passing game there, just the 26 pass attempts for them. There's 13 completions for Redder, who struggled throughout, only 97 passing yards for him. And a real, real struggle. Tyler Algier, Sean, though, I think is the, the bright spot in this entire game to talk about. I, I've been impressed with what he's done over the, the season in, in general, and he's working his way into kind of almost 
starting to to fade Cardrell Patterson out a little bit in this offense. 139 rush attempts for, or rushing yards for him, one touchdown on 17 attempts, 8.2 per attempt. What has your thoughts been on Algier as the season has progressed here and, and how he looked utterly dominant in this game, even though they come out with the, the loss? He did, and it's obviously too early to take the win if you're someone who's been on him in Dynasty, but this game illustrated perfectly the thesis in the offseason. Someone who was a little disappointing in terms of how he tested, but the playmaking that he demonstrated at BYU, someone who had played multiple positions there because his ability to move his body at that size is elite. And then especially when he gets going downhill, we have a lot of these guys who are bigger backs in the NFL. And I have a really hard time getting on board because even if they're evasion rate, their broken tackle percentage, their yards after contact are solid or even good in some cases. They don't have the long speed to create enough of the wow plays that you really need to flesh out and kind of round out that fantasy portfolio. I'm not saying that Algier is there either necessarily, but I love watching him. And once he gets downhill, I mean, he doesn't have the speed and athleticism of a Derrick Henry, but you have some similarities in that he's just a runaway freight train at that point in a different offense again they have to fire arthur smith i mean the only thing that the atlanta falcons have done this season is fail to develop any of their players and to lose a lot of games so uh, there's just you're not going anywhere with this you look at the expected points numbers for the falcons and they have algier they have patterson some very dynamic interesting backs and in a run first offense they don't generate expected points which I mean, do one at least do something well, right? Do anything well. That's not been the Falcons' situation this season, but they have pieces. And again, Algier, someone you've got to be wary of the price on Algier because he's probably not going to catch passes to the extent that is necessary to be a true RB one in the future. He is someone who, even if they switch coaching staffs and commit to him which someone drafted where he was drafted. You're always going to face the threat of another back. And if that back is even like 70% of what Tony Pollard is, you're going to lose a lot of touches. And then suddenly you're right back to the situation where it's almost a best ball only because you're not startable every week. And yet he just, he looked so good and they've been covering him up a little bit this year with their usage. And I mean, there was a situation here where Caleb Huntley goes out of this game. One of the reasons why he does blow up and why the 31 carries for Algier and Patterson together are able to be that concentrated. It's absurd that you would need that to get to your good guys. But that's what happened here. Hopefully he'll be a bigger part in the future. Desmond Ritter, 13 for 26. <laughs> he throws 26 passes. He doesn't get to 100 yards. That's not really what you wanted for him in his debut. He also takes four sacks, although the yards lost were more or less just like stuff running plays, not necessarily a huge deal. The thing that you'd like to see here is that even though Drake London does come into this game with a very high target share, I don't think you can really give the play caller or the quarterbacks credit for that because there have been so few passes total in a game where they actually do throw 26 times. And it's crazy to think that in a game in which they threw for fewer than 100 yards, that you're applauding them for all of the volume. Drake London, 11 targets. Risman Ritter threw to him constantly when he was covered, which is something that you actually do want to see if you have this top 10 pick 
who needs to be able to beat double coverage, needs to be able to make contested catches. That's been one of the things for Drake London is that he hasn't gotten the volume for us to really be able to tell what he is. But there have been some disappointments. And he made some nice plays in this game. He goes 7 for 70, and yet he fails to make some catches that a big-time star has to make. And that doesn't mean that he's not going to be a big-time star. It just means that this is a process. also means that in any given game, even good players make mistakes or don't haul everything in. But you wanted to go through this process as a rookie, not sometime in the deep future after you've created a massive wreckage of your franchise. So we'll see where the Falcons go. I I did think it was cool to watch Ritter. He does have that combination of size and presence and arm strength. Is he a quarterback from a, a passing accuracy and understanding perspective? Maybe not, but obviously you can't tell from one game. I mean, the Again, I mentioned at the beginning, I think that the expectations for Trevor Lawrence were probably a little bit unfair, but we're talking about him getting deep into his second season looking like a bust. Guys like Ritter and Howell and Corral and maybe even Kenny Pickett are not necessarily going to get that. And so you have players who maybe aren't quite to that same level coming in to start with, but then they have to be better earlier because they're worse. And so that's kind of the catch-22 is that the weaker you are as a prospect, the faster you actually have to prove it. We'll see if he's able to get it done or if the Falcons end up going in a completely different direction. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Now, this was a, a tough game for him, but we'll see. Hopefully, maybe this week we, we see some more uh, steps in the right direction. Sean, we are going to move into a listener who is stepping in the right direction. He is eighth overall currently in the FBG tournament over at the FFPC. It is Frank Duffy. I mentioned at the start of the show, he is one of the, the longtime OGs. He's been here from the very, very start. We really appreciate Frank. I was fortunate enough to actually meet up with him at the FF Expo over in uh, Canton, Ohio. We, it was funny, I was actually messaging him about this team earlier today, and uh, he said that this was the team that he slow drafted when he was at the Expo, and I, I did the Hall of Fame tour with him along with Conor O'Driscoll, and we were talking through some of his picks, and hopefully that was the, the good luck he needed. Two Irish men. <laughs> talking to him in the, the pro football hall of fame we did talk him into to drafting garrett wilson and this team but he drafted from the 108 we're going to have a quick look at the team how it started how it's going and how it might play out here so it's actually a zero rb team with a double elite tight end to start off so from the 108 goes travis kelsey then kyle pitts obviously the pitts pick hasn't worked out but what do you hear the run of picks that we're going to see here Colin, you're telling me that the pitts pick hasn't worked out it hasn't worked out i, I think sean it's time to, to call it um it is entering. So we can definitively say the Kyle Pitts has not worked out. We can we can say at this point it's it's not a, a league winning pick. Oh, I, but it could it could be on a team. If imagine now his winning percentage, Sean, if he's on this team and it goes on to win half a million in the the race here for first place. Kyle Pitts, Kyle Pitts. you had to have him. Double elite but tight end. You'll that. hit on one of these two. That's not really the takeaway, but it is how it's working out. Colin, take us away. Give us all of the other yeah, amazing picks that we have for Frank here. It's AJ Brown, Jalen Waddle, Juju Smith-Schuster, Chris Godwin. It is a Patrick Mahomes team paired with Kelsey, which obviously is super powered or supercharged this roster. Ramondre Stevenson is the first running back taken off the board. That is in the eighth round. Then Tyler Lockett. Um, then we get Darrell Henderson, who hasn't had a major impact and is currently a free agent. We have Garrett Wilson, the pick I talked about earlier. We talked about Tyler Algier a minute ago. He is there. Marlon Mack. Uh, DJ Chark, Hassan Haskins, Jarek McKinnon, who has been 
a wonder for this team over the last couple of weeks. Will Fuller, who never did make it onto a roster this season, the Colts defense, Matt Prater, Zach Moss. So there is a number of those players who have had little to no effect on this roster, but you also know that with a, a team like this in a managed league, you have chances to pick players up, add them to your roster, and, and continue to improve them as it moves along. So since that, the, the bench is now uh, Daniel Jones, he has Benny Snell, he has Dearness Johnson, Josh Kelly, Isaiah Spiller. So both of the Chargers running backs added in there. Then Tyler Algier, who I mentioned, Kadarius Tony with the Chiefs to try and pair it into that Patrick Mahomes roster. Still Tyler Lockett, still Juju Smith-Schuster. Sean, this team is is packed up and, and stacked in a number of positions. Like any zero RB roster, whether it's at the start of the season or the end of the season, the wide receivers are probably going to look to be the absolute pinnacle and there will be some challenges to be you know moved around at running back. But with the running backs he has, he's really hit on Ramondre Stevenson, who this past week again, even in that final play where it went all downhill for the New England Patriots, has been very, very impressive all season long. We have Jarrett McKinnon, who's having some massive games at the moment. So there is enough there to keep things ticking over. And as we talked about there, Tyler, Tyler Algier is somebody, I think, who can be put in there for the, the start as well. So there is three in my opinion, startable running backs on this roster heading into this final stretch. So all things considered, this is, is setting up to be a prime team. And when you're in that area where there's a, a shot here to, to go and get first and the half a million dollars top prize, as I mentioned, it, it's got to be exciting for Frank. And uh, I'm really rooting for him. And it's, it's awesome again to see the, the road of his overtime and the road of his community um, have, have chances in these tournaments. It is really cool. This team that he drafted is absolutely shockingly good. Brown, Waddle, Smith-Schuster, even with the disappointments, Godwin, Lockett, a great value pick, Wilson, and then getting that combo of Kelsey and Mahomes and then filling it out. And this is really, again, why we talk about it. And it's not that zero RB teams are going to win all of the leagues or all of the tournaments. We're not saying that. But you think about the roster construction here, the ability to miss on a pick in the second round, and to still put together a roster that you wouldn't trade for anybody else's roster, right? Ramondre Stevenson and Jarek McKinnon giving you not just points, but mega points at the running back position. You had mentioned to me that all of the teams in front of him were Jalen Hurts teams. Man, I have a little bit of heartache with that. The team that I have with Ben is a Hurts team. Our team in the Superflex tournament is a Hurts team. I was thinking that the Brees Hall injury was going to be the thing that really made this season hurt for the long term, but... And as we're talking, Sean, I have seen a report come out that I got a, a notification on my phone, and that was that it hasn't been ruled out yet. Apparently, quotation marks been used here. He uh, he's strong or quicker than than most people. So we'll see what happens. The the Eagles aren't ruling him out. I'm sure that's probably partly down to uh, you know pregame antics to 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 make the Cowboys prepare for both options. I mean, they're going to be preparing for mustache and jean shorts, though. Minshew mania is here. I love Gardner Minshew. The, yeah, so good luck to Frank. Good luck to all the rest of the teams. We're not necessarily rooting against anybody else in the tournament. Obviously, with two weeks to go, there's a long, long way. A lot is going to happen. Teams could come out and score 220. This next week could pull back 60, 70 points. One of the things in the FPC tournament here, though, is that there are a lot of teams in the playoffs, and in order to win, you've got to give yourself a chance. Just for a little bit of context, I mean, Ben and I scored 179, and... I haven't actually checked in this morning after the Monday night game. We were in 73rd. We were 60 points back. And so, I mean, you got to score a lot of points for Frank to have put himself in this position. That is absolutely fantastic. 
Yeah, awesome. So rooting for you, Sean, obviously, but uh, we'll talk with your team next week when you hop into the top 10. That's when Colin, we'll we, we almost didn't even add a second quarterback, but we did at the end, and it was Mac Jones. There's the there was a lot available. of teams last We should have just added Gardner Minshew, but uh, after the 13 for 31 and all the histrionics, I mean, is Mac Jones going to come out this week and, and put up 40, and it's going to be the story of the NFL season? Sean and Ben rise to the top of the rankings behind Mac Jones. I don't know. Sean. You did a, you're I'm saying there's you, a chance. I'm, I'm wishing you all the best. You yeah, like the, the Packers' I, well, playoff I'll chances say, better than our chances of Mac Jones yeah. is what you're saying. I'm saying that the chances of that happening this week are less than 8%. <laughs> but there is a chance. But uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fun. There was a lot of teams who got caught out last week, obviously, with the, the lock after... Uh, waivers at the ffpc with you know quarterback options not being available and that, that is really difficult and like you mentioned this week that can be difficult for a lot of teams if hurts doesn't go but we'll see what happens we have one more show that will be coming your way later this week and we'll be dropping that one hopefully you'll enjoy it make sure you are subscribed to the road of his overtime podcast feed to get all these once they are available they always go up there a little bit ahead of the uh, road of his radio main feed which you should all subscribe to as well but the other part of it is that it goes up on youtube usually a day later so make sure you're subscribed if you're watching this on youtube to get it as soon as possible but with that all that's left to say is my name's colin kelly you can follow me on twitter at overtime Ireland. my co-host is sean siegel check out all of sean's work up on rotaviz.com and until we are back have a good one Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. <laughs>